Hi, I'm Cassie, and welcome to our podcast, Unveiled, Real Talk for Real People. While I am a licensed clinical social worker, licensed in the state of Indiana, I can't give you any advice about your particular struggles. Anything that is discussed in this podcast are generalities not meant to specifically advise you. The information discussed here is intended to be educational and inspirational. If you are seeking professional support, message either myself or Stephanie, and we can help you locate a therapist in your state. Or you can talk to your doctor or trusted friends or use a directory such as Psychology Today or the Center for Apostolic Counseling. And again, we hope you enjoy this episode of Unveiled. some general ED statistics. They have nothing to do with recovery, but I think it goes to show like how prevalent eating disorders are in today's society. Um, so eating disorders, according to the um, National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders, eating disorders affect 28.8 million Americans. So 28.8 million Americans will have an eating disorder at some point in their lifetime. Um, And less than 6% of people with eating disorders are medically diagnosed as underweight. So that means, you know, some of the population struggles with an eating disorder, but they don't look like they do. Other people struggle with an eating disorder, and they look like they do struggle. Um. And eating disorders are among the deadliest mental illnesses, second only to opioid overdose. And 10,200 deaths each year are the direct result of an eating disorder. And that's one death every 52 minutes. So think about that. Every 52 minutes, someone dies from an eating disorder. Shocking, right? And this isn't just women. This isn't just this women. Is, this isn't just a statistic for women. Okay, this mind is, you. And this isn't teenagers. This is yes. the general population. So I'm going to give you some statistics now on children and young adults. Um, so 42% of first and third grade girls want to be thinner. Hmm. 81% of 10-year-old children are afraid of being fat. of 9 to 11-year-olds are sometimes or very often on diets. 35 to 57% of adolescent girls engage in crash dieting, fasting, self-induced vomiting, diet pills, or laxatives. And in a a college campus survey, 91% of women admitted to controlling their weight through dieting. So, thoughts on that, Stephanie? That's just a mouthful right there. You know, going through the statistics, it just shows you that what's wrong with our population. Mm-hmm. Like, not that you have, not that you're wrong, you know, if you have an eating disorder or struggle with, you know, disordered eating. It's that whole general um, thing that you can, um, that you can have that. And we talk about the diet and, 
you know, things like that, like crash course. And I remember being a young adult and mm-hmm. my doctor was like, this is how you need to eat and gave me a diet. Like, yeah. Chart. Yeah. You know, like we start kids very young at thinking you got to be thin. You got to eat this and you can't eat that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, going back to the young children in third, you know, third grade, I was always the biggest in my class mm-hmm. and I talked previously about that in one of the podcasts where I, I've always been the biggest in the class. And so I remember going, man, I wish I was thin, man, I wish I was, you know, skinny. I wish I had lost this weight, you know, and I was young elementary school. I shouldn't be mm-hmm. thinking about that in general. That should have not crossed my mind at all, but. So I'm sure my eating disorder really started, you know, at a young age. I had bullies. I had, you know, the whole nine yards. And so not necessarily I had an eating disorder, but I had that wishing I was Mm -hmm. different, skinnier. And I think that's how an eating disorder can start. It can start with those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And progress as you get older. Yeah, it can start with the bullying from other people. It can start with your doctor telling you this is what you need to eat. Yeah, and that's, you know – and sometimes it progresses really fast, and you are mm-hmm. a teenager with an eating disorder, or you are 30 with an eating disorder. Yeah. You know, age is not – eating disorders don't discriminate because you're 30. They don't. I've known some women in their 60s who struggle with eating disorders. Like, yeah, it's not – it's like that stigma, like an eating disorder is for teenagers. No, where, no. where does it say that in the books that an eating disorder is strictly for teenagers? It's for anybody – Female, male, white, black, it doesn't yeah. matter. Any doesn't age. Care. Yeah, there's there's no thing. And so that's like where mine came from. Where did, where did yours kind of, where do you think it kind of started from? I feel like, I always like said like mine started in my 20s. But honestly, when I went back deeper or went back further into the past, like I honestly feel like mine may, probably started in my teenage years. Mm. Because again, like this thought of you got to be perfect, you got to look perfect, like I talked about in a previous episode, I really think that's where mine started. Now, it started in a different format than what happened in my 20s because it started out like I would overeat and then in my 20s it kind of changed Mm -hmm. to where I didn't eat anything. So I feel like it started, definitely started in my teenage years and just progressed into my early to late 20s yeah yeah and that's it's so different like and we've Mm -hmm. talked this about this before that we share the same type of eating disorder but are very different of how we handled it but it also is very different like when it started whereas mine I really do believe it started at early elementary yeah and stuff and you were saying teenage yeah 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 so you know that's something different so they even start different if we look you know in the 90s you know now I'm really gonna age myself now (laughs) my um which I am not old everybody I I am not no Stephanie is not old no I'm not so please don't think because I talk about like oh so many years ago I'm like Mm -hmm. sitting here you know 60 plus uh, I'm just I'm I'm in my early 30s um which I will never be old Cassie so (laughs) we are either seasoned or highly seasoned um never old I don't like the term old. Um, but back to, back to topic. <laughs> back on topic. Yes. It's Jason Rabbits over here. Um, you know, it kind of, it started out really hard for me. You know, because of the 90s, 
and and this happens still today. So it's not just a '90s thing, okay, everybody. Mm-hmm. I was just a child in the '90s. <laughs> it was the best time. It was the worst of times. I was born in the '90s, so it was awesome. Yeah, did you were you a child though in the '90s? Like, when were you born? I was born in '92. Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, so I spent child, most of my childhood you know? in the '90s. Because you know, so I could say I was born in the '80s. Yeah, but I was '89, so I was. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't remember the '80s no. at all. I was born in '92, so <laughs> I remember a lot from the '90s. I said someone argued the other day. Well, I was born in like '98. You were not a. You didn't grow up in the '90s. No. You were a baby in the '90s. No, you did not grow up in the '90s. <laughs> no. I would. Yeah. I definitely grew up in the '90s. Yeah. And so, like the '90s is. I just yeah. I love the nineties. Um but back to the topic. Um we had and again this happens today. We had I remember a TV show, so full house. Oh, and I full never house. I do too. But I never noticed something. So one of the episodes is about uh eating disorders. It's not really like eating disorder that talks that say huh. eating disorder, but if you go back and watch and I can't I don't know the episode number or anything. I'll have to go back and but find that. DJ is going to a dance. And if y'all remember DJ, if you've never seen Full House, please go watch it. Uh, breaks my 90s heart that you don't know Full House. Um, so please go watch Full House. Anyways, but DJ is always thin. She's not, um, she was kind of like my size. Not really, mm-hmm. I was way bigger than DJ. But DJ wasn't your normal, like, stick figure girl. Still very yeah. beautiful, still very pretty. Um, but she had the curves and things like that. And so DJ was like going to something. I think it was a dance or something. I don't remember exactly what she was going to, but she had to look. She couldn't gain weight. She had oh, it was a swimsuit. She was going to wear a swimsuit. Um, so she was going to some party or something. Um, I think I remember this episode this, now yeah, that you're talking so about it. She had to have a swimsuit body, and she didn't eat. She refused to eat. She refused. It was days and days, and she would work at the gym. And Stephanie, not me. her sister dj's sister from the show by the way that's like my favorite character and the only reason why was she was mine because she shared my name only reason why she was my favorite character but um so but stephanie like realized something's wrong with my sister like she's not eating so she goes to the gym with the family and she is like struggling really hard almost passes out at the gym and stephanie like freaks out and gets her dad and the uncles and stuff and comes over and you know later on her dad you know have those heartfelt moments in the 90s i feel like there's always those heartfelt moments in the shows mm-hmm. uh, i feel like we're missing that today can we get that back please yes please. um yeah i'd rather binge watch 90 shows all day than what we have today <laughs> anyways um but they have that heartfelt moment talking about no you are beautiful just the way you are you know but we had it right in our face. Like, she had to look beautiful. She mm-hmm. had to wear that swimsuit. And there's other shows. Saved by the Bell um, was another one. Yeah. Where they would they would talk about, nope, we have to have perfect bodies. We have to have. So it was, like, in our faces, kids. Mm-hmm. That we had to have the, you couldn't have a curve. You couldn't have fat. You couldn't have a belly. Yeah. You couldn't have, you know, big chest. You couldn't have and big legs. You had to have a yeah. thigh gap. And you see, like. A lot of eating disorders and ballerinas, gymnasts, wrestlers, mm-hmm. figure skaters, because they have to have those certain bodies. And models. So I follow oh, yeah, a models. model who um, I follow a model on Instagram. And she is, and I follow her just because of her story. Um, she's in recovery for an eating disorder. Oh, and wow. And she even talks, she's like, I can be a model and still go eat. I just have to figure out, you know, what that exercise needs to look like with how much intake I need to have. And she said it took a while to figure it out. She said, mm-hmm. but I did. 
she said, I was miserable, but I knew I needed to have this model body in order to get these jobs and stuff. And so it's those kind of things that we yeah. have. You know? <clears throat> and, and I do think you make a good point there, too, because it's like I feel like the magazine covers give us this unrealistic idea of what beauty is. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, so I feel like that's, you know, like the biggest struggle is where eating disorders come from. Mm-hmm. Is it's like in our face to have this and Instagram is like the worst for people like cracks mm-hmm. me up I'm like I know you don't look like that I just saw you oh yeah you we know, use filters we use this filters and you could do black and white add extra color and I mm-hmm. not everybody can because I still haven't figured it out so if you see a picture of me it's not filtered there's <laughs> not a filter on that because I don't know how to use the filters the only thing I know how to do on a picture is brighten the colors <laughs> brighten the background so if the background's dark I know how to brighten that I can that. crop you out I can Photoshop that. I can Photoshop things and crop things out, but that's about the extent. Yeah, I'd say I know how to adjust the brightness. Because, you know, sometimes you take a picture and you, you really like it, but the picture is really dark. I use flash. It's <laughs> like so I just retake it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't retake it. I just brighten the background. Again, two different people sitting in the room. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so, like, that's – I feel like that's kind of that starting process of – those recovery of like not recovery of like eating disorders in general and then you get into an eating disorder mm-hmm. and then you struggle and the re- I mean your process for an eating disorder could take years could be a few months and you might be that lucky person who really has somebody who catches it yeah and, and stop. stops it before it goes any further yeah then you could be in there for years down the road and then you could have that person that sees it and catches it but you refuse to listen to them and that that was me. I um, that was me too. Yeah, I'm my um. So I think in the last episode, episode before, and a previous one, we had talked about like exposure therapy, and that's that was my first like exposure to. You have an eating disorder, mm-hmm. but I refused. I absolutely refused to be like I have an eating disorder. It's like no, I don't have that. You are a bullface liar. I don't think I told her that to her face. I wasn't that brave at the time. Um, this is my therapist, by the way, like, uh, not just some random person, but like, I definitely wasn't brave enough to tell her that, but I left and I remember going, she's a liar. Like, how dare she lie to me? I don't have an eating disorder. And in reality, I did, you know, but I probably, probably could have gotten help right then and there if I would have been able to say, you're right, I have an eating disorder, Yeah. you know, and so my recovery definitely did not happen until, you know, about a year later. Yeah. I think for me, like, like I feel like my eating disorder, you know, I, like as I mentioned earlier, I feel like it started in high school, but it really didn't advance until, like, mid to late 20s. And I refused to listen to people. And it was obvious I had an eating disorder, like I would mentioned in a past episode. But I was still in so much denial because, no, I'm not. I don't have an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I'm not thin. I still don't have weight to lose. Like, there's still fat on my arms I need to get rid of. There's still all, all of this. Yeah, yeah. And I just kept finding things on my body that, like, I wanted to slim down. When the reality was, everything I was trying to slim down was just muscle. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't slim muscle down. You, you can, can lose muscle. Yeah, you can't slim it down. Trust me. Because I lost muscle. Mm-hmm. With my eating disorder and my arms became flabby. Yeah, and there's a lot that, you know, we don't talk about with um, eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
that we don't talk about because of the different um I lost my train of thought. There it goes out the door. <laughs> um we I don't think we don't talk about them because of like the what we lose. The gross reality of it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> this is why Cassie and I work so well together. Yes. Um yeah, we don't talk about the stuff that you actually lose with an eating mm-hmm. disorder. We should, that's yeah. a great episode. We should yes. That one day. The things you lose. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> like yeah, one. so, like, with that, like, my arms became – I had no fat left to you lose. Yeah. yeah. But I still kept finding things. So your body's going to eat other things because it's yes. hungry, it's starving, so it's going to go to those muscles next. And yeah. Eventually it will go to your bones. So it took me a little bit to regain my muscle back. Yeah. Yeah. So now we've talked like how we got there and then we got into the eating disorder. Let's let's talk about the recovery process. Mm-hmm. Um Cassie, recovery. you've been in recovery longer than I have. I have not even hit a year yet. Um, you were three years mm-hmm. in recovery. Let's go back to that first year. How did recovery mm-hmm. look? What did it look like for you? That first year of recovery was COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so try that. Yay. <laughs> That was not fun. <laughs> I was home all the time. Um, I also, in the middle of all of that, uh, you know, trying to recover from an eating disorder, in the middle of COVID, I moved out into my own apartment <laughs> for the first time out of my parents' house into my own place, <laughs> which made it even more challenging because I went from being around like five to six people all day to just me. And I didn't even have my dog yet either. So when I say it was just me, it was just me and my thoughts all day long because I was also working from home. So try that. <laughs> that was not fun. <laughs> but how, did you, how did you get into recovery? <clears throat> I got into recovery, and I feel like I mentioned it on a previous episode. Um, I think it was a moment I had between me, myself, God and the bathroom mirror <laughs> is how I started recovery. And I feel like, you know, we talked about that in one of our earlier episodes. I don't want to go into detail about it again because I get emotional every time I talk about it. <laughs> um, but I think it was that moment that really led me to start recovery. Even though recovery was really, that first year was really hard, I had to force myself to eat, you know, three meals a day. I'm not a breakfast person. I'm still not a breakfast person, <laughs> but that first year of recovery, I really did feel like it was important, even if I did not feel like eating breakfast, making myself eat. Because, you know, some people, and I'm one of those people, I wake up in the morning and I'm just really nauseous, and the thought of eating food makes me feel even more nauseous. So I have to give myself like a few hours to actually up, be up and moving around before I can actually eat anything. And that's how some people are, and I think that's okay. That first year, I really did try to eat breakfast every morning, even if it was something as simple as a protein shake um, and a piece of toast. Like, that was a lot for the, like, the first maybe three or four months. That's what my breakfast was every morning, a protein shake and a piece of toast because that's all I could stand the thought of stomaching for breakfast. And then lunch was whatever I felt like eating. Um, so I started recovery in January of 2020, so, you know, COVID hadn't, It was starting to get out there, but really hadn't hit the U.S. yet, I don't think. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would, sometimes I would go out to eat with my coworkers for lunch. Sometimes I would take my own lunch. It honestly just depended. 
And then I would try every afternoon, I would try to eat a snack. Like in the middle of the afternoon, I would try to eat a granola bar or fruit, just something light and simple. And then I would eat dinner. But those first few meals, like those first few weeks where I ate like three meals a day and tried to snack, those were really hard. What, what kind of coping mechanisms did you do to help you get through that? I exercised. <laughs> I added more exercise to it. <laughs> Didn't it work. Healthy, healthy coping skills. Yes. <laughs> I used unhealthy coping skills. <laughs> something that like, was helping that. Honestly, I think reaching out to my pastor's wife at my church was the healthy thing that I did do. Um, like, hey, I'm really struggling today. This has been challenging. And then I tried just, I tried to not let myself think about it. Um, I tried not to let myself think about how many calories were going into my body. Um, you know, I tried to, I tried to, like, I don't know. I did a lot of things. Some things were healthy. Some things weren't. <laughs> like, you know, exercising even more. What was year two? So tell us the date first. Like, what was the date for your recovery? January January 11th or 12th, I can't remember. Some of that area, but 2020. Yes, of 2020. Yeah. And you still have to talk go back about your second year. Like, what did that exactly, how were you feeling? Were you, were you more stable in recovery, or were you feeling like you were um, heading in the wrong direction? So, all of 2020, I fought really hard to regain weight. You know, get back to what my doctor said was a healthy weight. And it took me, like, seven months to get there seven months and I remember the day I reached my healthy weight I cried I got on the scale like four times <laughs> to make sure that you know, it doesn't really say I'm back here <laughs> and then I cried because <laughs> that was it was hard like I think part of me was relieved like that the fight was over I mean you know that the fight to get healthy again was over but I also think part of me was like terrified too because I'm like okay what but what if I don't stop gaining now <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's that's the worst. That was my other fear with yeah. it, too. Yeah, that's that's definitely the worst. Um, So towards the end of, like, that first year of recovery, so that was 2020. So probably, I think it was maybe around October. It was around the end of September, beginning of October of that year. No, it was the end of October, beginning of November. That is when I was on the verge. Like, I had a lot of stressful things come up. And I was on the verge of, like, relapsing again because I noticed myself slipping back into old habits, slipping back into I don't want to eat again. I want to just exercise all the time again. I want to do this. I want to do that. And that's when I decided, okay, you need professional help. <laughs> you need more help than just what your pastor's wife can do. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. My pastor's wife was amazing through all of it. But I got to a point where it's like I knew I needed more than just her support. Yeah. And so I did. I reached out to a therapist to process through like all the stress and all the anxiety and everything that was leading to my thoughts. And so the second year, so I hit one year of recovery in January 2021. And in some ways that year was easier, but in some ways that was more challenging. 
if that makes sense. Um, Because I was at a point in my life during that second year where I'm like, I felt stuck. Like, I just, I felt like there was no, I felt stuck in my career. I felt stuck at church. I felt stuck, you know, in so many different areas of my life. Like, and I just, I felt like I wasn't growing anymore. And that's when I knew, like, I had to make a lot of big decisions. Like, I can either stay here and still feel stuck. And when I say I felt stuck in my career, like, I felt like I wasn't being challenged in my career. I felt like I wasn't being pushed to do new things. And I got really stressed because the place I worked for at the time, they really, I felt like we were kind of treated like machines at a factory. Mm. Like we had to see clients from at the time we arrived at eight in the morning until the time we left. So it's like, I felt like I had no space in my day to catch up on stuff. Like, I mean, I had an hour for lunch. But a lot of times my lunch break was spent doing paperwork, catching up on things that I'd gotten behind on because I, my schedule was so full with clients. Like, and my schedule with my clients was booked out like three or four months. And that's not healthy. Like, there were some clients that I probably needed to see like once a week. And because of how far our schedules were booked out, I was only seeing them like once every month or two. And that's not healthy for clients either. So I just, I knew I needed out. I knew I needed like a more supportive, more healthy work environment. I knew I needed to be challenged more. And whatever, I also say I felt stuck at church. Like there was no one at church I could really relate to. Like I had friends at church, but no one like I could call up and be like, hey, let's hang out today. Because all the girls or women my my church that were my age were married and had kids versus I was single, I had no kids, so I could go do whatever I wanted when I wanted to do it. Yeah. And didn't have to be like check with my husband first and be like, hey, take the kids today. I'm going Yeah. I'm yeah. going to spend the day with my friends. Yeah. Between like a, a married and a single. Yeah. Very different. So that's when I really started praying and I had been given like a job opportunity in Indy and I turned it down <laughs> so uh-huh. many times. But then I met Stephanie. <laughs> and, and her life ended. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so then Stephanie and I met, and I feel like we became, like, really close friends. And that's when I was like, I think I can move to Indy. I think I can accept this job. And I think I can move to Indy because at least I know someone there now. And not to say I wouldn't have made that decision at some point, whether I would have met Stephanie or not, because I probably still would have made that choice. But I think Stephanie, without knowing it, kind of helped me to make that decision. <laughs> God puts people in the right place. Yes. Like, God's placed them in your, it, I can't, nope, can't talk to you. <laughs> nope, nope. It happens every episode. Every episode. It does. My goodness gracious. No, uh, God places the right people in your path. Yeah. At the right time. Yes. So. And now you're in year three. So that's, that's pretty I just exciting. started year three. Yeah, yeah, because it's February 2023, so we haven't gone too far. Can you believe it's February of 2023? My That's so weird. Gracious. I can't believe. There's been a few times where I still caught myself writing 2022. No, can we go back to like 1993? Like, Please. Let's, let's I, I was a year old in 93, so. Yeah, I was like three. It's great. Worst thing I ever had to do was pick what color I wanted the color to do with. It's great. It's great. I probably did other things. I just don't remember. Oh, yeah. I was I'm a daredevil sure. even at a young age, so. <laughs> um, wow, so three years, though. 
And don't worry, guys, I'm still here, too. I know I'm quiet on this episode. Like, that's a first. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Well, Cassie's been in recovery three years, and I've just yeah. been just, you know, recently, and so I'm not even a year. September will be a year for me yeah. for recovery, that I can actually say that I'm in yeah. recovery. I definitely think, though, like, making the choice to move to Indy really helped me, like, and I feel like when I say this, a lot of people think I made the choice to move to Indy to avoid dealing with things, and that might be, (laughs) that might be part of what I did, but the reality was, like, since I have moved to Indianapolis and changed, like, in, you know, working where I work now, I feel like I have grown more professionally. I feel like I've been able to heal more from the past, being away from everything that triggered it, that triggered my eating disorder. Because, like, sometimes to heal, you have to get out of that environment. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, that is, yeah, that's really good, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I also feel like I've definitely, like, since I've moved here, like, I've made friendships that I never would have made had I not moved. Yeah. I've made connections that I never would have made. I've been challenged. I've been pushed way out of my comfort zone so many times in this last year, <laughs> which has been a really good thing, even oh, though in yeah. the moment I hated it. Absolutely. <laughs> and I also feel like I've grown even like spiritually and grown in my relationship with God in ways I never would have done had I stayed where I was. Yeah. So... I'm excited to see what this next year is going to bring. Yeah. I think it'd be really good, you know, and I think like for recovery itself, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big deal to be in three years of recovery Mm -hmm. from eating disorder and in general. So now you have kind of a swing of your eating disorder, I guess, (laughs) I guess we could call it like. That kind of thing. It's but like you yeah. have your foot on the ground now. Yeah, you know, and not saying you won't struggle because. Oh yeah, you know, it's no, something. I'm not, and you know, I still have days where I've struggled. I mean, I've struggled this week. Yeah, I think things will trigger yeah. things, but it's it's that whole point of, okay, I recognize now. Yeah. What do I do? What do, what is my coping yeah. skills? What is you, you know A B C and D yeah. that I need to do in order not you, to go down that yeah. rabbit hole? You start to recognize what your triggers are. Yeah. And then you know, okay. I'm going to stop it here. Yeah. And I think that's the point where you need to to know what those are. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something I'm I'm learning. Yeah. You know, being fresh in recovery, I'm at the stage you said earlier, like, the thought of, oh, my goodness, I'm going to gain this weight back yeah. absolutely terrifies me and to death. Like, yeah. and I know you're going to gain some weight back. Yeah. Because of my body structure and because of, like, my curves, I have, I'm a different size than what my normal weight would be than what Cassie's normal weight is because mm-hmm. we're two different, we're built two different ways. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Just, you know, our, our weight's going to be a little different. For sure. And stuff. And so it is healthy to gain that weight back. It is. And your body knows what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So trust, you know, I always say trust your body. Yeah. And trust what your instincts are telling you because your body knows. Your body knows when it's hungry, when it's thirsty. It it mm-hmm. knows those functions and it's yeah. like, don't push them down, don't suicide them. Yeah. You know, don't starve yourself because you ate, you know, two thousand calories yesterday. Well, mm-hmm. now I have to restrict today yeah. because, you know, and I so, ate that. And when you're in recovery and you're trying to regain weight, you're supposed to eat 
more than, you know, 2,000 is the set standard for calories. But when you're in recovery, you're supposed to eat more than 2,000 calories a day. Yeah, and let's go back to that 2,000. That's 2,000 in, like, normal, not 1,200. Yes. Okay. A lot of people see that 1,200, and that's what we're supposed to eat. 1,200 is actually the equivalent for a toddler, a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. That's how much calories they're supposed to eat. Unless you're still two, you might want to reevaluate your life. Yes. A lot of people don't realize that. And depending, I either. Yeah, depending on your age is how many mm-hmm. calories you need. Yeah, you, yeah. so definitely look that up. And make sure it's a reliable source. Yes. Not Wikipedia, for Pete's sake. Not Wikipedia. Make sure, like, go. There's tons of websites out there that uh, – that specialize in eating disorders. Yeah, actually, I found a website. I think I shared it with you, Cassie, mm-hmm. um, a website that my therapist, my therapist is an actual specialized eating disorder therapist. That's pretty much all she works with. Um, but she sent this website, and it's, like, the whole nutrition, like, plate. Like, what yeah. should you look like? But for an eating disorder person, and so it goes through, like, recovery, and it talks of other things of how many calories, but it does talk about just nutrition in general where it shows you how many calories you're supposed to eat in a day and things of that and what your plate's supposed to look like. We talked earlier about another pod, another episode where <laughs> there's not a pyramid anymore, it's a plate. Yes. And so, like, it, it shows you what that looks like, dairy, grain, all of that. Yeah. You know, it's not this big, humongous pyramid before, you know, now it's just a little plate. And so definitely look at that, but make sure it is that reliable source. Yes. Because there is sources out there, but... Yes. If Do it's not on use Wikipedia. Facebook, you might not want to use yeah. that. Yeah. And it's on Wikipedia. You can't always trust Wikipedia. No, because anybody could type on Wikipedia. Yes. People don't realize. That's why if you remember in college, go back to your college life, your professors would tell you if it's sourced from Wikipedia, mm-hmm. it's not credited. So it's funny you say that, Stephanie, because <laughs> I'm going to down a rabbit trail for a minute. <laughs> we do that a lot. So. But it's funny you say that because I actually had a college professor once. He actually had us write an article into Wikipedia. For an assignment. That's funny. <laughs> I found that really interesting. I can't remember funny. what class it was for. That's funny. Yeah, that just but shows you that anybody can write. Exactly. Wikipedia. It's not a – and there are some things on Wikipedia that are accurate. 100%. There really are. Because there is people out there that know that information. But I think, then you yeah. have Billy Bob from down the street. I think, mine in, yeah, I think my Wikipedia article ended up being something on, like, anthrax. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think it was for like a media class I had to do and was so it anthrax like that um came in the mail or something. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought so. I thought so. Yep. It ended up being like on anthrax and like who all it affected because it was like a media class and it got sent to some I can't remember his name anymore, some media person. I didn't do media. Well, I did newspapers. I yeah. guess that's media. I had to have an elective, so I just I chose a media class. <laughs> You know. I did the newspaper, so yeah. I guess that is media. But yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so back on track. Yeah, absolutely. We chase rabbits. <laughs> but all yeah, here, so, so that goes to show you cannot trust Wikipedia because college students, yeah. high school students type into it. For real. So. Yeah, so always make sure it's like that reliable kind of source because you just mm-hmm. don't, you don't know yeah. who's writing it and stuff. So yeah. do your research. There is, you know, there is the National Eating Disorder website. Mm-hmm. Um, what are they called? National. NIDA. Need, yeah, what's the acronym, though? Uh, the whole, the like, National thing? Eating Disorder Association. There you go. There you go. And then there's the one I utilized at the beginning of this episode, the yeah. Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders, something yes. like that. It's a mouthful. That's what it was. <laughs> That's what it yes. was. I really want to interrupt you and be like, that was mouthful. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Yeah. I think eating disorders should also have the title of 
longest names for mental health. Yeah. Like, because you have, like, restrictive anorexia nervosa, anorexia. Then you have, like, that long name for the website. Yep. Like, Absolutely. So it's funny that, you know. Yeah. So recovery, you know, it's really hard. And I think recovery, you know, we, like, previous episode, we had a support system podcast, mm-hmm. an episode. And I feel that that goes really, you really need your support system. You do. To be in recovery for an eating disorder. Yeah. I think you're in recovery for any mental health, mm-hmm. really, you need it. Yeah. But especially the eating disorder like, because you, it's so easy I mean, to hide what mm-hmm. you eat. I mean, I tried to do recovery on my own with my eating disorder. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. <laughs> That's whenever I reached out to a professional help. Like, I mean, I was already talking to my pastor's wife. She was my support person. But I needed more. Yeah. And But I was trying so hard to go it alone. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what, you know, and I was seeing another therapist, and we had worked through depression, anxiety, suicide, mm-hmm. and all of this, all of this stuff, but my biggest problem was an eating disorder, and I think for me, I really was so in, like, denial and things, and she wasn't really sure what to, how to handle it, so it mm-hmm. was that whole process, I needed somebody with a specialized yeah. eating disorder therapist, so yeah. that is something you can... And I found... You can find yeah. as well. And I was looking through my Facebook memories this morning, and I came across this quote. I'm pulling it up really fast. Um, and it's by Shannon Cop, And it says, sometimes we take leaps of faith, and sometimes we take tiny steps. Even the tiniest step can require a lot of courage, like climbing out of denial and admitting my real need for help. Yeah. So just saying you need help is taking a small step in the right direction. Yeah, and it's a big deal. And it is a big deal because just saying you need help can take a lot of strength and energy out of you. But once you admit to yourself that you need help, then the healing process can actually start. Yeah, yeah, it's that whole point, but you need to recognize you have a problem, Mm -hmm. you need to admit it, then we can help you. Yes. You know, I had somebody that was trying to help me before I ever admitted I had an eating disorder, and I refused to, to admit that I had mm-hmm. it. So I really, as much as this person was trying so hard to help, it actually was hindering me because I refused. Like, I pushed that person and was like, no, I don't have a problem. Right. Excuse me. Cause you know, it's that pride. If, we yeah. Because if, if you're not, re- like I mentioned in a previous episode, if you're not ready for help and someone tries to help you, it's going to backfire. Yeah. And that, I mean, and good intentions for those people. Yeah. It's not that they're wrong whatsoever. They didn't do anything wrong. It's it's us because we don't want to admit that we have a problem. Yeah. I think it's like that uh, alcoholic anom- anonymous. You yes. must admit you have a problem. Yes. So, like, that's the, I think it's just saying or something. I can't remember it, but, like. You have to admit that. But that's mm-hmm. so important. I think the biggest step for recovery. Yes. And if you want to be in recovery, you know, that's I wish, the absolute first step. Yeah. I, say, I wish someone would like, I think it would be really neat if someone, maybe that's a project I can work on too, is like creating like a 12-step ED recovery process. Oh, no. She's going to have 12 <laughs> steps. I know, right? But uh, I think that would be really cool because it eating disorder recovery really is a process, just like recovery well, from substance use. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um. My personal opinion is, you know, I think that it takes everybody a different time for recovery. It does. Well. So there is those steps that I do think are very crucial. Mm-hmm. But we also have to understand 
that it takes everybody different time to do it as well. And you might not go through the steps in order. No, yeah, that's a good point, too. You know, and you might stay. Like, if if there was this type of program Cassie's talking about, you know, you you could do it again and again because you just still are stuck on one. Like, stuck on step one. You know, or you get stuck on step three. You can't move past it, and that's okay. Yeah. If recovery takes you a while to get through, to get to the point where you're no longer struggling, you know, on a day-to-day yeah. basis or struggling with your thoughts, that's that's okay. There is not a time limit on healing. No. I think, you know, I think so many times we put pressure on ourselves, like, well, I've got to be at this point in two weeks. Yeah. And then we get mad at, our, at ourselves if we don't reach that goal. Yeah. We have to remember that, you know, God made us human. Mm-hmm. And he made us who we are, and we're beautiful that way. But just because we have problems doesn't mean we can't admit it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where God comes in, too, where he can't help us if we can't tell him what the problem is. He already yeah. knows the problem. Exactly. Like, he knows what you're doing. But he's not going to come in and change things no, he's unless a, we're ready like for him to. I like to call like, he's a gentleman. Mm-hmm. He's not going to just, like, slam and bust the door open. He's going to knock until yeah. you decide to answer that door. He'll just yeah. keep knocking. You know, and so it's that point and stuff like that. And so I think that's where, you know, recovery is such a big deal at the beginning. Like that beginning stage, I feel, is the absolute (laughs) hardest, you know, for me at least. That's what I think, you know, and I think the middle is kind of hard as well. Yeah, because it's like in the middle, like I feel like, you know, for me, whenever I got to the middle, I was like, okay, I'm healthy again. But I was still fighting the thoughts. So it's like you can be healthy but still fight your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that self-talk and that negative yeah. talk. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. That negative right. self-talk. It's a big deal. Like the enemy loves it. Like he absolutely mm-hmm. loves it. And God is like, if I wouldn't say it about you, why are you saying it? Like I what love right that. do you have to say it? Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Just the other day I encouraged someone to like – pick up their Bible and find verses of, like, who does God say you are? Yeah, that's good, because there's a lot in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I know think the number, but there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, God says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He says we're beautiful. We're created in his image. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. you know, I don't know. There's so much in there. You know, he even talks about, like, you love your confidence. You mm-hmm. know, you love. So he, we're he, precious he like loves. rubies. Yeah, you know, the apple of my eye. Yeah. And that whole, like, and we we have to remember, God never made anything ugly, wrong, because it's God. Like, he's perfect. Like, he doesn't make a mistake. Mm-hmm. God knew exactly what he wanted each and every one of us to look. Yeah. You know? He knew what we looked like before our mothers even conceived us. Absolutely. You know? And I think we have to, that's been my biggest thing, like, in recovery, is that I have to constantly remind myself, God made me. I'm the way God wanted me. Mm-hmm. You know, I constantly have to say that. Like, I have a bathroom mirror. Um, I, well, I have a big bathroom mirror on my door, and it's got, like, all these sayings all over it. Um, and so those are – a lot of that's on yeah. there is that kind of stuff. And yeah. Because I have to look at it. Yeah. Every day it's there. And so that that has helped me yeah. with my recovery. Absolutely. So, you know, get sticky notes and write – you know, who does God say you are, and post it on your mirror. Mm-hmm. Or post it in a place where you will have no choice but to look at it, look at it every day. Yeah. 
I even in my office at work, um, there's a, like a filing cabinet that I have right in front of my desk. And on the side of it, I have a lot of that stuff on there. Scriptures, not only for eating disorder, but depression, anxiety. Yeah. Who does God say you are? Um, those kind of things. So that I'm like looking at it every mm-hmm. day. It's yeah. right there. And, you know, recovery. You know, there are going to be points in recovery where you want to give up. Yeah. Where you're ready to throw in the towel and be like, I quit. I'm done. I tried this. It's yep. too hard. Yeah. But don't. Because that's the point when I feel like Satan is really fighting you to slip back into those old patterns, those old routines. He's putting all those negative voices back in your head. But keep fighting against that and keep putting one foot in front of the other, even if it's one step a day or even if it's just half a step a day. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, and you will get to the other side. Not to say once you are on the other side, you're no longer going to struggle because you will. I still struggle. (laughs) You know, and I'm three years. So, but the struggle on those days when you're struggling, once you are on the other side, it's easier to cope with, easier to handle because you know what to do because you've been there before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. I think that's a good ending note as well. I think that's wonderful to say to somebody who's trying to be in recovery. Yes. So I think that's hang in there for real. Don't give up. Keep yeah. fighting because in the end, it's 100% worth it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because nobody really wants you to die of an eating disorder. No. I don't want you I to know. be, you know, the person that dies, one of the people every 52 yeah. minutes that dies. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't want to hear about it or anything like that. You know, we're lucky but we had people in our life to mm-hmm. help us and move us forward in the right direction, not end up on. So we didn't become one of those statistics. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Put that one foot in front of the other. Yeah. So, but thank you so much for joining us on this episode. And we will talk to you guys on the next one.